this episode of the story of the six, Guru Tegh Bahadur is anointed the ninth guru of the six in the face of competing claims by multiple pretenders to the throne of Guru Nanak. The guru boldly confronts the Mughal emperor Aurangzeb, who has been forcing his non-Muslim subjects to convert to Islam on the pain of death. I'm co-producer Erica Wong. Before we begin the episode, we have a favor to ask of you. If you find this work compelling, please be sure to rate it and write a short review. That will definitely help us get the podcast to a wider audience. of August 1664, a delegation arrived from Delhi in the town of Bakala. About six months earlier, Guru Harkrishan had breathed his last, but not before declaring that his successor would be found in Bakala. In the six months that had followed the eighth Guru's death, no fewer than 22 impostors had set up shop in Bakala, claiming to be his successor. There was utter confusion among the faithful, who were flocking to Batala in search of the Guru. The delegation from Delhi had many notables among it. It was led by Divan Dargamal, who had been a prominent follower of Guru Harkrishan, it also included Mata Sulakhani, the mother of the late Guru, Dwarka Das, the great grandson of Guru Amar Das, and Baba Gurditta Randava, the son of the late Baba Buddha. Of course, they were not confused about who the ninth Guru was. A special divan or congregation was convened, and Divan Dargamal announced the decision of Guru Harkrishan to confer the guruship upon Guru Tegh Bahadur. In a solemn ceremony, Gurditta Randhava affixed the saffron mark of royalty upon the new guru's forehead and the customary offering of a coconut and five pese was made. Under normal circumstances, such a formal installation ceremony would have settled any remaining doubts about the successor. In this instance, however, it only served to stir up the pretenders. Their claims became even more strident, and their demands for offerings and tribute became increasingly vociferous. Guru Tegh Bahadur, quite unperturbed, continued about his business. Ten days after his formal installation as Guru, he left for Kiratpur to offer his condolences to Bibi Rupkor, the daughter of the late Guru Har Rai and the sister of the late Guru Har Krishan. On the 22nd of August, the ashes of the late Guru were immersed in the waters of the Satlaj in a solemn ceremony. The Guru returned to Bakala and the jockeying continued.
months later, on the occasion of Diwali, a rich caravan pulled into Bukala. A wealthy trader had arrived to pay his respects to the ninth guru. His caravan included numerous horses, camels, and bullock carts laden with tents and goods and was protected by a fierce horde of heavily armed men. The trader was a major supplier of provisions to the Mughal army. Whenever the Mughal army marched, it was his job to supply them over land and sea. His name was Makkan Shah Lubana. Makkan Shah realized that finding the Guru was going to be no easy task. All 22 impostors and their followers were in full cry, no doubt very excited by the arrival of a wealthy Sikh trader. The rival gurus, some from the Sodi clans of Lahore, some from Amritsar, invited the trader to their tents, working through touts that they had all hired to direct pilgrims to them. Many waived certificates they had procured from Brahmins, attesting to their lineage and their family connections to Guru's past. Most prominent among them was Tirmal, the disgraced elder brother of Guru Har Rai, who had shamelessly rebelled against Guru Hargobind and still nurtured ambitions to become the Guru. Tirmal had been at his seat in Kartarpur when Guru Harkrishan passed away, he hastened to Bakala as soon as he got wind of the Guru's last words and was the first to pitch camp there. Of course, Tirmal had a couple of things going for him. He was the well-known son of the sixth Guru, the brother of the seventh, and the uncle of the eighth. His family connections to the Guru's family were not in doubt. He also had in his possession the very first copy of the Guru Granth Sahib, which inspired deep reverence in every Sikh who came to Bakala. Tirmal had in his employ a rogue by the name of Shihan, who styled himself as a Masand or representative of Guru Tirmal. As soon as Makansha arrived, Shihan appeared on his doorstep to assert his master's claims and convinced him to accompany him. Surupdas Palla, a descendant of Guru Amardas, wrote the Mehma Prakash in the 18th century. The following excerpts are from his work. Prithamadhir Malajiko Gaye, Dhar Panch Mohur Charanan Par Paye, Le Puja Khusi Sikh Ko Kini, Siro Pao Pagaditis Dini. First to see Dhir Malhi went offered him five coins of gold, pretender with the offering pleased, robes of honor yours behold. Makansha Lubana's face fell. This was not the true guru. But how did he know? The events leading up to Makansha's visit to Bakala are recorded in the Mehma Prakash. तिस भरी नाव इकमाल की बंदर को दई चलाए जाए पई जल भवर मो डगमग डूबन भाए On a ship laden with goods 
for the port did he set sail. Upon them broke a nasty squall. The ship did list and flail. موسیقی तब बेच माल मक्खन घर आए निस दिन गुर चरण मन लाए सौ मोहर भेट सतगुर की लीना गुर दर्शन आया मन अधीना To the Guru then did the trader pray You are my lord I am your slave A hundred coins of gold I pledge Hear my plea my ship lord save the Guru all-knowing heard his plea. On his sick did his mercy reign, rescued him from the fearful storm, thus did pass the terrible bane. Makansha then sold his stock and set out to his lord seek. In his hands carried his pledge, filled with love his heart so meek. Makansha Lubana was in Bakala for a reason. In a moment of great peril, he had prayed to the Guru for relief and had made a pledge. Against all odds, his ship, his goods, and his life had been spared. He thirsted to meet the Guru, to thank him, to make the offering he had pledged when he had been on the brink of ruin. He too had heard of Guru Harkrishan's last words and he hastened to Bakala to find the Guru. When he arrived, however, to his consternation, none could tell him who the true Guru was. But Makansha did not despair. He was a clever man, well versed in the ways of the world, and he decided to test the claimants as he set out with Sheehan. He had gone to Dhirmal's tent with great expectations. Surely the man whose credentials and lineage seemed impeccable had a solid claim and could well be the Guru. And he had the Guru Granth Sahib to boot. But when Dhirmal accepted Makhanshah's offering of five gold coins with joy, his hopes were dashed. Surely his guru was omniscient, all-knowing. How could he possibly accept five gold coins when a hundred had been pledged? Though deeply disappointed, Makansha was not one to give up so easily. He visited all the other so-called gurus one by one. He would place a small offering before each, and in return... He would be showered with sweet words and blessings. His disappointment mounted as he went from impostor to impostor. Word had got around that a wealthy merchant who seemed very astute was going from claimant to claimant. Other Sikhs, who were also seeking the true guru, 
noted that Makkan Shah never visited any claimant more than once, and they understood that he was putting the pretenders to some kind of test. Soon, a throng of Sikhs started following Makkan Shah around as his search continued. When Makkan Shah had visited all the 22 pretenders, he felt defeated. Maybe Guru Harkrishan had been wrong. Maybe the true Guru was not in Bakala after all. Maybe his ship had been saved by chance. Maybe there was no Guru to hear his prayers. He started to doubt himself. Maybe it was presumptuous of him to assume that the Guru would reveal himself to him. The touts and agents of the pretenders continued to hound him constantly, showing up at his tent, trying to bring him back to their masters. Makkan Shah roared angrily, Leave me alone, you miserable touts! I have visited all the 22 so-called gurus, and I know them to be false. Is there anyone left that I have not met yet? A small voice piped up. Sir, there is one. Makanshar turned wearily, expecting to be solicited by yet another tout, but smiled kindly when he saw a small, shy-looking boy. And who is he, child? There is one more Baba, sir, who lives in silence and meditation. Who is he? He is Baba Teg Bahadur. Some call him Baba Tegga. The crafty Sheehan, who had been listening intently, cackled. This boy is insane. Whoever can think of the mad Tegga as the successor to Guru Harkrishan? Tegga lives in isolation and self-intoxication. He doesn't know his right hand from his left. Go meet him if you must, sir. He won't so much as talk to you. He is mentally unfit to perform any of the Guru's duties. He hides in his house. He never emerges. This boy is misleading you, sir. There is only one true Guru, and his name is Guru Tirmal. Makansha told the boy to lead him to Baba Teg Bahadur's house. The first person he saw there was his mother, Bibi Nanki, who advised Makansha to meet her son alone. Makansha humbly requested the large throng that had been following him, which included humble Sikhs, onlookers, and touts, to wait outside. In the courtyard, he saw Divan Dargamal and Pai Gurditta, who he recognized, having met them in the court of Guru Harkrishan. Makansha's heart began to beat faster as he was led into Baba Teg Bahadur's presence. Gur Teg Bahadur ji ke pun gaya Dhar paanch muhur charnan par paya Dekh magan satgur muskaye Kar kirpa ye bachan sunaye Sao muhur hamari dije pyare Jo mansa dhar tum kaj savare Gur bachan sunat makhan magnane Par brahm satgur pehchane Sao mohar kaad bheta gur dhari Muskaye dayal khusi tab kari 
ज्यो निर्धन सुख संपत पावे भूखा रस भोजन तृपतावे जो जिग्यासी पावे ज्ञान जु जोगी दृढ़ होए ध्यान त्यो मक्खन मगन भय गुर पाया चढ़ ऊंचे मंदिर टेर सुनाया आवो गुरसिख मैं सतगुर लादा जाकी महिमा अगम अगादा यह वृतांत सुन संगत पाया सुन सुन सभु दर्शन को ध्याया to the guru does the trader go makes his offering bends down low the guru looks at him and smiles with mercy is his face aglow this is not what you had pledged when in fear you prayed to me the trader's heart it leaps with joy beholds his lord he with such glee a hundred coins are offered then on the trader's face a happy smile like a pauper that's enriched now sated hungry for a while a seeker who has wisdom found a wandering monk who calm became the seeker who has found such joy ascends the rooftops to proclaim come ye come ye the lord is found his glory is deep vast untold and when these tidings are heard they come in droves their lord behold spread like wildfire makkansha lubana had found the true guru the faithful flocked to pay their respects to guru teg bahadur in droves the guru's court was set up at the site that is marked by gurdwara manji sahib today guru teg bahadur blessed the congregation and when he was asked to deliver a sermon he summoned musicians to accompany him While Makansha Lubana and the six rejoiced the true guru sang unperturbed he had not been anxious when there were 22 pretenders to the throne now that they had all been exposed he didn't seem particularly gratified jo nar dukh mein dukh nahi mane sukh sane ar bhay nahi jaake kanchan maati mane nain indya ne ustat jaake लोभ मोह अपमाना हरक सोग ते रहे नियारो नाह मान अपमाना आसा मनसा सगल त्यागे जग ते रहे निरासा काम क्रोध जह परसे नाहिन तय घट ब्रह्म निवासा गुर कृपा जह नरको कीनी तह ए जुगत पछानी नानक लीन भयो गोबिंद सियो जो पानी संग पानी in the midst of sorrow feels not pain fear comfort love he does not feign gold and dirt to him one twain 
He does not slander, will not praise, untouched by greed or love or pride. Sorrow and joy to him are one, glory, disdain he takes in stride, banishes desire and hope from the world he asks for naught. Free he is of anger, lust, in such a one the Lord is sought. The man who is then thusly blessed, save him then the path knows who. O Nanak and the Lord are one, merged have streams of water too. Mal was livid. Just when it seemed that things had started to go his way, and his claims to being the new Sikh guru were being accepted by more and more of the faithful, the meddlesome Makkansha Lubana had showed up in Bakala and ruined everything. He decided to act swiftly. His lieutenant Sheehan gathered together a band of a hundred ruffians to attack Guru Teg Bahadur and plunder his court. One afternoon, after Makan Shah and his men had retired and the Guru sat with a few companions, the band attacked. Sheehan aimed a gun at the Guru and fired at him point blank, but the bullet only grazed his shoulder. One of the Guru's faithful Sikhs pounced on Sheehan and took the matchlock away before he could reload. His thugs proceeded to systematically loot the Guru's household and carried off everything of value. After Makansha returned to the camp, the Guru's followers counterattacked and captured Tirmal and Sheehan, recovering all the looted property. The Guru was much chagrined, when he found that his followers, in their zeal, had carried away Tirmal's property as well. Tirmal slunk away to his home in Kartarpur after he was pardoned, and his property was restored to him by the Guru. The Sikhs in particular wanted to retain the original copy of the Guru Granth Sahib, which they felt Tirmal had no right to, but the Guru restored even that to his nephew. He then decided to visit Amritsar. Sri Harmandar Sahib was under the control of Harji, the grandson of Prithi Chand, who had bitterly opposed the ascension of Guru Arjan. Prithi Chand's son, Meherban, and now his grandson, were self-styled gurus and continued to aspire to the throne of Guru Nanak. Harji, Fearful that he would have to cede the stewardship of the Sri Harmandar Sahib to his cousin, ordered that all the entrances be sealed and the Guru be denied entry. The Guru set up camp away from the Harmandar Sahib and was greeted with great joy by the citizens of Amritsar. A large group of women started an impromptu langar 
and served all the pilgrims who were flocking to pay their respects to the new guru. After leaving Amritsar, the guru decided to visit Kiratpur, the seat of his late father, Guru Hargobind, visiting several towns in the Maja and Malva regions of the Punjab. In Kiratpur, he was received respectfully by Mata Sulakhni, the wife of Guru Harrai, as well as by Deepchand, the son of his brother, Surajmal. Word of the Guru's arrival started to spread, and many distinguished visitors from surrounding kingdoms started to pay their respects. One of the visitors was Rani Jalal Devi, the widow of the late Raja of Bilaspur, a neighboring principality. Her young son, Peem Singh, was not of age and was being targeted by rivals who coveted the throne of Bilaspur. The Guru blessed her and encouraged her to stand firm and look out for her son. When Rani Jalal Devi learned that the Guru was thinking of establishing a new town in the tradition of his predecessors, she offered land and money to develop it. The Guru politely declined the offer, but agreed to buy the village of Makowal, which lay five kilometers from Kiratpur from her. Makowal was named Nanki Chak and became the new seat of Guru Teg Bahadur. Later, it would be developed and it would get a new name, Anandpur. decided to undertake a tour of the East. There were many Sikh congregations in the modern states of Uttar Pradesh and Bihar, and further east in Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh as well. When the Guru was traveling east through the Punjab, a host of Mughal soldiers under the command of Alam Khan arrested him and his companions and dragged them to Delhi. Historians are divided on the reasons for the arrest. Kushwan Singh claims that it was at the instigation of the treacherous Ram Rai, who was still at the Mughal court. Fodja Singh disputes this view, claiming that Ram Rai had accepted Guru Teg Bahadur's ascension and bore him no ill will, and suggests that it was the presence of so many Sikhs who had assembled to celebrate Diwali that was seen as a threat by the Mughals. Some accounts claim the Guru was accompanied by 30,000 Nanakpanti Sipahis, or Sikh soldiers, and often went hunting, which probably brought back unsettling memories of his warlike father, Guru Hargobind. Whatever the reason might have been, it is indisputable that Guru Teg Bahadur was arrested on November 8, 1665, and taken to Delhi. The Guru was produced before the Emperor Aurangzeb, into whose ears many of the ulema or Islamic scholars had been whispering, claiming that the growing influence of the Guru was a clear threat to Islam. At one point, the Emperor was of a mind to execute the Guru, but was persuaded by Raja Ram Singh, one of his Hindu Rajput vassals, 
who was willing to guarantee the Guru's conduct to let him go. Guru Tegh Bahadur spent almost a month in captivity and continued his eastward journey when he was released in December. Raja Ram Singh suffered a fall from grace as the Emperor Aurangzeb felt that he should have kept him in custody. The Guru visited Sikh congregations in Mathura, Agra, Kanpur, Allahabad, Varanasi, and Bodh Gaya before he arrived in Patna. The Guru's wife, Mata Gujri, was with child and she stayed on in Patna while the Guru continued east to visit his followers in Dhaka. When he was in Dhaka, he received news of the birth of his son. The boy was named Gobind Rai. Guru Tegh Bahadur remained in Dhaka almost for a year before returning to Patna. There he learned that the disgraced Raja Ram Singh had arrived accompanied by a large Mughal host. Raja Ram Singh had been tasked with subduing the king of the eastern state of Kamrup or modern-day Assam, who had rebelled. Kamrup was considered a dangerous place, a land of fierce warrior sorcery and black magic. When Raja Ram Singh, who had a deep belief in Guru Tegh Bahadur's spiritual powers, begged him to join the expedition to Kamrup, the Guru could not refuse. The Guru spent almost three years in Assam while the conflict dragged on, sometimes playing the role of peacemaker. On his return, however, he was unable to visit his wife and son in Patna. Urgent messages were being sent to him requesting his presence in the Punjab. The tyranny of the Emperor Aurangzeb and his religious intolerance were escalating day by day. Great trouble lay ahead. By March in 1672, the Guru was back at his seat at Chaknanki. His wife and son had been reunited with him earlier. His travels, which had taken him to places that no Guru other than Guru Nanak had visited, were over. ਕਜੰਜੂਰਾਖਾਪ੍ਰਵਤਾਕਾਕੀਨੋਬੜੋਕਲੂਮੈਸਾਕਾਸਾਧਨਹੇਤਇਤੀਜਨਕਰੀ
while miracles might bring one fame to the godly they are not but shame gave up his body with disdain he left to with the lord unite o teg bahadur what a feat who else could set this wrong aright o teg bahadur you are gone the world does cry out in pain and even as the mortals weep the heavens to rejoice are fain it is the 25th of may 1675 in a small settlement in the northern himalayan foothills a holy man who leads a fledgling faith holds court his face is serene a glow but his broad shoulders and powerful forearms and ramrod straight back evoke visions of a mighty warrior at his side sits his only son a bright-eyed lad of 9 all day followers and supplicants have entered his court barefoot after partaking of the simple meal that is served in an adjoining tent a band of travelers enters the court they are fair-skinned and sharp-featured all of them sporting caste marks on their foreheads and the sacred thread of the twice born adorns their torsos they have hastened to the guru's court with brows furrowed their bodies still bearing the dust and grime of the long journey from the northernmost part of the empire the leader of the group pandit kirparam dat begins to speak with folded hands the guru listens as does his son as the words tumble out in anguish haath jor kahyo kirpa ram dat brahman matan gram hamro bal ab kahyo nah kai he gur teg bahadur rai gaj ke bandan katan hare tum gur nanak hai avtare जिम द्रौपदी राखी लाज दियो सवार सुदामे काज फिरत फिरत प्रभ आए थारे थाक परे हो तो दरबारे सेवा हरी इस अर्ज गुजारी तुम कल जुग के कृष्ण मुरारी विथ फोल्डेड हैंड्स कृपाराम स्पेक द ब्राह्मण फ्रॉम द नॉर्दर्न वेल इन आर आर्म्स स्ट्रेंथ नो मोर O Guru, as our king we hail. You rescued the elephant king. You are the light of the Guru first. Draupadi's refuge were you. You satisfied Sudama's thirst. These are references from Hindu mythology. When the divine came to the aid of the desperate, Gajendra, the elephant king, was rescued from certain death by Indra. Draupadi the wife of the five Pandavas in the epic Mahabharat was saved from dishonor by Krishna Sudama was a poor devotee and dear friend who was blessed by Krishna as well wandered far and wide have we we fall exhausted at your door before you lord we humbly pray to us you are Krishna of your 
This translation is from the Shaheed Bilas, a biography of Pai Mani Singh, a great Sikh warrior, who we will encounter in subsequent episodes. The Shaheed Bilas was written by Kavi Seva Singh. The faith of their forefathers, which their families have practiced for thousands of years, is in jeopardy. Iftikhar Khan, the governor of their homeland Kashmir, acting on the authority of the mighty Mughal emperor Aurangzeb, has decreed that they may no longer follow their ancient faith. They are to convert to Islam or to be put to the sword. Guru Tegh Bahadur, the ninth guru of the Sikhs, ponders their words. The irony is not lost on him. As the steward of the progressive house of Guru Nanak, he's been asked to intervene to protect the very symbols that his forebears had rejected unequivocally as the trappings of a cruel and repressive social order. His son watches him carefully as he sits deep in thought, perhaps wondering how his father can possibly help the Kashmiri Brahmins faced by the terrifying wrath of the mighty Mughals of Delhi. Finally, the Guru speaks. My strength has fled. I am in chains. Ahead of me no path I see. Says Nanak, now I turn to the Lord. Who but he can now help me? His words are greeted with silence. Pandit Kirparam looks shattered. The Guru was the last hope of his people, and this was not the response that he was hoping to hear. The entire court looks at the Kashmiri Brahmins with sympathy. And then the nine-year-old lad speaks firmly, with clarity of vision that belies his ears. My strength restored shatters the chains. The way forward is clear, for Nanak all is in your hands. The Lord with me dispels my fear. The Guru smiles. The lad is ready. It is time for him to embrace his destiny. Tab satgur e man thehrai bin sir diye jagat dukh paayi das gobind thi pas bahayo 
कमर कसा सतगुरु करायो पैसे पांच श्री फल एक धर आगे दियो मस्तक टेक बाल गुरु तब कहो अलाए पिता गुरु तो करो सहाए सेवा हरि सुन धीरज दीना दिल्ली दिशा पियाना कीना the guru true then does resolve of sacrifice the time is nigh sends he for his beloved son girds him for his mission high a coconut and pennies five to the lad he bends his knee o oh, father says the little chief who but you can mentor me be calm my son and do not grieve for delhi then readies to leave he bids his followers to make preparations for a journey that will bring him face to face with tyranny on the mughal throne of delhi which was once the dominion of enlightened rulers like akbar now sits a despot the guru knows that aurangzeb will not listen to reason the guru does not wear the janeu the sacred thread of the hindus but that is of no consequence at stake is a fundamental principle that the faith he leads believes in it is wrong of aurangzeb to force the hindus to renounce the janeu he must be confronted On July 11, 1675, the Guru set out for Delhi. He was accompanied by three beloved Sikhs, by Matidas, by Satidas, and by Dayala. Just a day later, he was arrested at the village of Malikpur Rangra by Mirza Nur Muhammad Khan, a Mughal officer in charge of the Ropar police post. From Ropar, the Guru and his companions were taken to Sarand. under heavy guard and imprisoned then they were transferred to the kotwali or police station at chandni chowk in delhi during the period of incarceration which lasted around 4 months the guru and his companions were constantly tortured and harassed finally the guru was produced in the mughal court The Emperor Aurangzeb entered the Diwan-e-Aam or public audience hall at about 9 a.m. and proceeded to the balcony known as the seat of the shadow of God. He was attired in a white silken robe tied under the right arm with a silken sash from which his dagger hung. On his head was a white turban bound with gold web. and adorned with one large emerald amid four smaller ones all eyes were turned towards him and the sound of trumpets and drums could be heard below the balcony of the throne was an enclosure surrounded by rails reserved for men of the royal household feudal princes and foreign ambassadors 
Ranged around the emperor, a troop of eunuchs stirred the air with fans of yak tail and peacock feathers. When he was seated, they gave him a sword belt, which he laid down on his left side by the throne. Then he made a sign with his hand for those who had business to draw near. The guru and his companions were brought forth. Aurangzeb was not ignorant of the Sikh faith and its tenets. He had already met Ram Rai and had spent time with him learning about the faith. Raja Jai Singh, Raja Ram Singh and a host of other courtiers had spoken very highly of the guru's predecessor, Guru Harkrishan, who had come to Delhi. The emperor also knew that the Sikh gurus were as opposed to idol worship as any Muslim. He knew that they did not believe in Brahmanism and everything that was associated with it. He was very hopeful that the leader of a faith that had traditional associations with Hinduism but seemed close to Islam ideologically could be persuaded to embrace Islam which then he hoped would pave the way for mass voluntary conversions. You do not believe in idol worship. You do not believe in these Hindu priests, the Brahmins. Why then have you espoused their cause? Why are you defending their faith? asked Aurangzeb. With this question of the emperor began a great dialogue, which is said to have been recorded by Paisatidas, but was ultimately destroyed by the Mughal authorities. It was a dialogue between an unyielding absolute ruler and the unyielding conscience of an enlightened prophet. When the emperor bragged about his power, wealth, and authority, Guru Tegh Bahadur calmly pointed out its ephemeral nature and was unbending in the face of both threats and inducements. The debates continued, but the guru was unyielding. Finally, an ultimatum was given. The guru and his companions would embrace Islam or they would face death. However, a reprieve would be given if the guru would perform a miracle. The guru merely smiled. Miracles violate divine will and there is no room for them in the faith of Guru Nanak. When it was clear that the Guru would not abandon his principles, his companions were tortured before his eyes to weaken his resolve. Pai Matidas was sawn alive, Pai Satidas was boiled to death in a cauldron, and Pai Deala was wrapped in cotton and burned alive. Early the next morning, a humble sweeper named Pai Jetta, who was a disciple of the Guru, was summoned to clean the site where the Guru's beloved Sikhs had been tortured and killed. A water carrier sprinkled some water on the dusty ground. Guru Tegh Bahadur took his bath by a well close to the Kotwali and recited his prayers. As Guru Tegh Bahadur came to the place of execution, Qazi Abdul Wahab Bora read the fatwa or decree. 
The executioner, Jalaluddin of Samana, stood there with a drawn sword, ready to strike. Dark clouds were gathering and the crowd of onlookers began to weep. Guru Tegh Bahadur, the very picture of poise and calm, raised his hands to bless and console them. Silence descended as Jalaluddin swung his heavy blade. In a second, it was over. A Muslim saint or peer who happened to be there at the time of the execution proclaimed, The emperor has not done right. There will be a great rebellion. The city of Delhi will be desolate. As the guru's severed head fell to the ground, it seemed that all was lost. But it wasn't. His martyrdom strengthened a principle that his followers have passionately adhered to in the 400 years that have passed. Time and time again, in the face of overwhelming odds, Sikhs have proudly stood up to tyranny to protect the rights of the oppressed, no matter what the circumstances were or how high the price that had to be paid. Resistance to injustice is a fundamental principle of the Sikh faith. Guru Nanak proclaimed this when he condemned Babur's tyranny. Guru Arjun and then Guru Teg Bahadur sacrificed themselves willingly to uphold this principle. But alas, the bloodletting was not over. For as long as tyranny remained in the world, the faithful and the principled would continue to shed their blood to oppose it. The Story of the Six is written and narrated by Subpreet Singh, author of the poem Kultar's Mime, which was adapted for the stage and tells the story of the massacre of the Six in Delhi in 1984. His second book, The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia, set in the court of Maharaja Ranjit Singh, was recently published. Both are available on Amazon. The Story of the Six is produced by Almask Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. This episode features a rendition of Rag Basant Mukhari on the violin by the young sensation Raginder Singh, accompanied by Rohit Majumdar on tabla. Raginder and Rohit's performance was recorded live by Subpreet Singh in 2010 at the prestigious LearnQuest Music Festival in Boston. The episode also features renditions of two traditional Sikh hymns or Shabads, one by the legendary Bai Samun Singh and the other by the late Ustad Mohan Singh Namdari, 
a dear friend of Sarpreet Singh's. The couplets that record the final dialogue between the ninth guru and his son have been recited by Bai Amrik Singh Zakmi and his group. Season two of Story of the Six is sponsored by the Chardi Kala Foundation, the Sani Family Foundation, and Manpreet Kaur and Ishdeep Singh. I'm co-producer and audio engineer, Erica Wong. In the next episode of The Story of the Six, the young guru Gobind Rai reflects upon the martyrdom of his father, Guru Teg Bahadur. The lad prepares himself to meet his destiny and fulfill the grand vision of Guru Nanak. He is tested by powerful kings who surround him, driven to jealousy by his increasing power and fame. Thank you for joining us.
कचंजूरा खाए प्रभता का I'm not afraid. 